You know what the most dangerous thing in America is, right? Nigga with a library card. <laughs> This is the Most Dangerous Thing in America podcast, a show in which we read books by black authors, and they're talked about by a black author, and you can listen if you are black or not black. That is okay. This week on the podcast, we are talking about Alice Walker's historic, monumental, landmark book, The Color Purple, which I finally read after, how old am I, 36? It is 39 years old. After 39 years of its uh, publication... I've never seen the movie, I'd never read the book, and we're going to get into the reasons why right now. It's actually pretty straightforward. So, first of all, how did I come to this novel? I mean, how does anybody come to The Color Purple? So, okay, you don't have to talk about that. Uh, the only reason I didn't um, read it before was I probably didn't conceive of it as a book until I was much older, because the movie is the thing. Oprah's in the movie. She hasn't been in a lot of movies since I was born not that i can really think of so i feel like that's the last movie i remember oprah in um i'm sure she's in something else but so that's what i knew about going into the book like oh yeah oprah's in that but so why hadn't i seen the movie so never mind why i hadn't read the book why hadn't why hadn't i seen the movie i was just talking to my father yesterday about it and he's from louisiana of course the book is set somewhere in the south uh i assume georgia because that's where alice walker's from and yeah i think that's right and he was just saying he didn't want to be sad and be reminded of stuff that was happening back where he was from. So I thought that was interesting. Actually, you know, the book is sad, but it has some triumphant parts too. So I could see what he's saying. I wonder how the movie, I wonder if the tone of the movie captures like the joy that's in the book as well as the sadness. There's definitely a lot of sadness, but there's also a lot of joy. So I didn't watch the movie. I didn't realize it was two and a half hours, so I have to really carve out some time to do that. But I did read the book, and I will watch the movie. I've uh, I've got it, and so I will watch it. But yeah, so that's how I came to it. And then uh, reading the book. So my introduction into reading the book was reading the introduction, which I usually don't do. I like to skip it. But must have been the first paragraph of the introduction just kind of caught my attention, and then Alice Walker talking about how the novel was about God. And in reading that introduction, I'm really glad I did it. I realized that Alice Walker is whatever she is. She's not a, a a Christian. So she's some kind of agnostic or spiritualist or whatever. But she believes God is something that is not nameable or definable. Or certainly not something that's practiced inside of four walls of a building. And I really appreciate that because the black community as a whole really has a lot of stock in the Christian church. And then if you go outside of black America, uh, really the Western hemisphere, because, you know, most of the Caribbean, that's still Christian. If you get outside of black America, then you still have the, the Islamic influence. So Christian and Islam, the Abraham religions, it would, it's nice to see black writers, intellectuals, black teachers, black construction workers, black bowling alley attendants who are just like, I'm going to conceive of God in a different way. So whether or not you believe in God, it's not really the point. I just like the idea of a, a multiplicity of viewpoints. Uh, 
So she said, um, it, it's strange to her that people didn't pick up on the fact that the book is about God. And I would say I have two things about it being strange. One is what I just got done through saying, which is that black people in America are by and large Christian. That's by the numbers. Not, you know, you look that up. Also, just anecdotally, I, I mean, almost every single black person I've met in my whole life has been a Christian, or at least raised in the church, some some touch with, uh, some contact with Christianity. The point being that if you are a Christian, you don't really want to read this novel and hear about how Christianity may or may not be a true religion. But you do want to connect with a piece that has Whoopi Goldberg, Oprah Winfrey, Danny Glover, you know, this huge landmark black work that got nominated for Oscars and Alice Walker had a 50% crew also had to be black or minority working on this uh, crew. Like this was a film for black people by black people. So my theory is that if you came to the book after seeing the film, or even if you came to the book as a black person who likes Alice Walker's work or as a black person who was into black women writing, but you're also a person who in the Venn diagram believes in Christianity, you would just pay attention to all of the parts of the book that have nothing to do with God. And that brings me to my second point. That wouldn't be that hard to do. Now, it is true that this novel is written as a series of letters and that each letter is addressed to God up to a certain point. And it's all, it's up and until that point that this novel could debatably be about God. So about halfway through, it really kicks into not being about God. But I would say up until that point, you could, you know... Make the argument, if you were a person reading the novel, just thinking like, right, this is about sexism, colorism, classism, all the things that are very apparent from the get-go as the main character. The main character, Celie, is uh, basically, just to give a quick synopsis of the book, she is born into a family where her mother is dead, and she's raised by her father, who also rapes her and then forces her to have two kids, and then she sacrifices herself, basically, to save her little sister, and then, uh, so she gets her to, like, she gets her out of the house, and then she's got, she's given away in an arranged marriage to a guy who beats her, and her whole life she's told she's ugly and dark and too skinny, and she's poor and uneducated and all of this stuff. So you could easily, with that premise, that being the premise of the novel, and I know I said that this book had joy in it but it, it does actually have some joy in it uh i guess i'll have to prove that but you could easily with that premise see somebody reading this book and dismissing all the parts about god as Seely uh, eventually does you know when she renounces god later on and you could also see somebody seeing her renounce god and think well that's just her going through a tough time but god is always there for me so something like that so anyway alice walker says the book is about god i agree it's about god but i could see how somebody could willingly or accidentally conceive of this as not being a book about God or just not wanting it to be a book about God so they would uh they would ignore that stuff I'm going to talk about the themes here I already talked about sexism and colorism there are a ton of themes sexism colorism classism I'm going to kind of leave those off to the side because they're very front and center I'm going to talk about ones that just jumped out to me uh, ones that I didn't know about as much um you know and uh I already discussed the God theme so 
All right, the miseducation theme, education or miseducation theme. A couple notes on this. I thought it was interesting how Alice Walker portrayed several of the characters as being dumb or uneducated, but also made a point of showing that it wasn't through any fault of their own. Seely is deprived of knowledge. Nettie, her sister, deprived of knowledge. And the important thing is, is that she showed that thirst for knowledge. That's the thing is that um, Alice Walker writes these characters as having a thirst for knowledge. And so it's not that they're willfully ignorant or something, or that they don't want to learn, or that they're unwilling to go to school. They're not allowed to. Knowledge is withheld from them. And it's not just withheld by white people. That's, of course, part of the social structure, economic structure of the South. But also withheld by the men in their lives. So first, it's withheld by their father, and then later withheld by, I mean, a lot of stuff is withheld by Seely's husband, who uh, who we get his first name, but his last name is always obscured throughout the novel. I thought that was interesting. wonder what the reason was for that. But anyway, I liked that. And then another note on the miseducation in general uh, was on page 10, there's a reference to the flat earth, and it's pretty depressing to think that when this novel was written in 1982... Alice Walker wrote the idea of a person thinking of the flat earth as like being woefully miseducated because they had information withheld. And now in 2022, with more information than you could possibly ever hope to consume, you have a good number of people, let's say a non-insignificant number of people who believe in a flat earth. But uh, let me go ahead and read the passage. I feel bad sometimes that he done passed me and learning, but look like nothing she say can get in my brain and stay. She tried to tell me something about the ground not being flat. I just say, yeah, like I know it. I never tell her how flat it looked to me. So, okay, so there's the theme of education. Uh, another theme was the concept. I think I, I think I used this line several times in this podcast, so let me use it again. The Jay-Z quote, the great philosopher Sean Carter, who said, Nine to five is how you survive. I ain't trying to survive. I'm trying to live it to the limit and love it alive. The line in this book is, Seeley says, I don't know how to fight. All I know how to do is stay alive. And this is such a interesting concept because she's just a survivor. But she's surrounded by other women who come from similar circumstances, but they just had a little bit something more they weren't quite as beat down like she's the most downtrodden of all the women she meets so Sophia you know she didn't come from any kind of money but she came from a family of strong women Nettie she's just a little bit smarter and she also has Seely taking the bullets for her first you know Seely's a little bit older so maybe she doesn't understand the amount of strength that she has I mean it's not maybe she definitely doesn't understand the amount of strength she has and then Suge Avery just has a kind of disposition that won't allow her to be beat down by the world. But so, Celie says she doesn't know how to fight. All she knows how to do is stay alive. And it's true, and she spends the novel learning how to fight. And then she eventually learns how to live, and she's kind of, she blooms, you know. She literally goes back to the town you know, after they moved to Memphis. She goes back to the town where she was raped by her father, stepfather, who turns out to be her stepfather, who turns out to not be related to her at all, actually. But, you know, I, I don't think it's a spoiler. It's the color purple. It's very famous. But so she goes back there and she's 
got a flower in her hair and people don't even recognize her. It's not like she got some beauty makeover or whatever. It's just living. She's living. She's alive. So, yeah, that was one of the themes. And that plays right into the theme of self-love. Celie hated herself so much that when she first saw Suge Avery, of course she's in love with her. But she says, I just be thankful to lay eyes on her. Because she's just, she hates herself so much and hates what she looks like so much and has been told that she's worthless and ugly and all these things for so long that just looking at something beautiful makes her grateful. So those both of those themes of self-love and truly living were two things that stood out to me uh, besides the other ones. And then the, the last one, and I thought this was an interesting one and kind of tied into another another work hope and so about halfway through the novel after we've been told Nettie is dead we learn that she's not dead and that Albert that's um Celie's husband who I I know we get his first name and that's cool I almost prefer the fact that he's just called Mr. with a line it's it's good but once he becomes a human that's it's kind of better that way anyway but so anyway what's the hope part so she's writing she gets these letters from Nettie, and then Nettie's on a ship to Africa because she's a missionary. Uh, there's a lot of stuff that happens in between. But Nettie says, I wrote a letter to you almost every day on the ship coming to Africa. But by the time we docked, I was so down, I tore them into little pieces and dropped them into the water. Albert is not going to let you have my letters, and so what use is there in writing them? That's the way I felt when I tore them up and sent them to you on the waves, but now I feel different. And if you think about it, the middle passage is across that same ocean that Nettie travels to go from, I believe they set out of New York to get to the fictional country that they land in. I mean, no, they, they go to a real, they go to Senegal first and stuff, but eventually they, they, they meet up with a, they link up with a, a tribe that I think is fictional, but maybe not. But so that's that middle passage you know that's that slave crossing and there's that line at the end of black panther where killmonger says i i jumped off the boat or uh, you know like i represent those who jumped off the boat and uh because they would never be slaves and it was a controversial line because it's basically saying those who came to the americas and you know submitted to be slaves that they wanted to be slaves or they just their spirits were broken and it takes away the agency of those people who went to the Americas, not just uh, not just uh, the United States of America, but the Caribbean, people who were in marooner communities, people who never gave up hope. And so dropping those letters in the water is almost like uh, so many killmongers jumping off the boat, which, by the way, also not impugning anybody who jumped off the boat um, rather than face slavery. But it's just to say nobody's weak. And the people who did stay alive in the middle passage through all of the things that could have gone wrong what they kept alive in them was hope an indomitable spirit that couldn't be crushed even as they were packed into a boat like sardines and that's what this novel has i guess that's the joy i mean one of the joys is seeing silly cast off all of the sexism colorism classism racism which we didn't even, you know it's in the novel but not as much but cast off all of that and become a person. But one of the other great joys of the novel is the hope. Is that even after 
kind of a reverse middle passage. After Nettie is despairing and thinks that Celie's never getting these letters and she's never going to talk to her again, even after discarding all of those letters into the water, and we'll never know what they said, they die at sea, she starts writing again. The hope never really dies. She just keeps going. And they just keep going. Even after it seems like Nettie's died at sea, Silly keeps writing her. And that's kind of the biggest theme of the novel to me. And that's kind of the, I mean, Alice Walker says it's about God, and I don't think that's wrong. But one of the things that black people have in common uh, from Africans of the blood to Africans of the soil is hope. And I mean, of course, all of humanity has it in common, but we're talking about black folks because this is a black folks novel. And so that's one of the just pulses that's, you know, undulating through this novel is hope, 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 hope. Never giving up, never letting go of the rope, no matter how bad the situation gets. And so I thought that was right in there in the middle of that novel. And, that, and, and that's right in the middle, too, when she drops those letters into the water and everything just seems like it's it's gone. And it's not. As bad as it gets, she just keeps going. So, yeah, I really love that part of the novel. And I guess that's the joy part for me. You know, that plus Silly's transformation. All right, last thing I want to talk about real quick is style. going to compare this to a couple of different things. One thing, so of course this is written in the vernacular. It's heavily written in the vernacular. Especially Seeley's letters are written with grammar mistakes and, smel- and spelling mistakes. For instance, early on she's talking about the three boats that uh, Christopher Columbus comes over on. And she calls them the Neater, the Peter, and the Santo Marieter. I thought that was awesome. Yeah, yeah, like that in particular. I just thought it was a really good way to translate it. So I-, I thought Alice Walker really captured the southern vernacular well. Which is a tricky thing to do, you know. When I read Their Eyes Were Watching God and Zora Neale Hurston as a hero of Alice Walker's, I didn't really like the the rendition of the vernacular. Obviously, Zora Neale Hurston would know as well as anybody else, but I, I didn't. I just didn't feel. I don't know. It didn't. It didn't jive with me as well. But this, the color purple, it was it was kind of perfect. I just thought the style was perfect. And then I I noticed that there were just what I would call southern words. I mean, they're not southern words, and they exist outside of the South. But I've just never heard anybody say them except for like my dad or his relatives. So a good one is the shufferobe. Shufferobe is a like an armoire. I've also never really heard anybody say armoire besides my dad. But shufferobe, uh, I just feels very southern. And then clabber, which is like a, a milk byproduct. And then the other one was um, it wasn't in the book, but a couple more examples of things that I was like as I got older realized like oh people from the south when they say that commode. I don't hear anybody outside of the South say commode, and only my grandmother really said that, and then Puckwood, Puckwood, as I think I've talked about before, but so anyway, yeah, so the style of the book is that, you know, very Southern, plus the vernacular, two separate things, and then very effectively written, you know, kind of in the same vein as that Marlon James book, uh, Moon Witch Spider King, it's going to be very difficult to write a book in all of vernacular, unless you really get that rhythm down, so yeah, I thought this was just amazingly well done and you can see why it's a book that was stood the test of time one other book that i thought was interesting and one other random tying tie-in would be uh, and i never actually read the book i read two pages and, and couldn't get couldn't do it so i don't want to disparage the book i thought the movie was awful and that the thing i'm talking about is precious 
And the tie-in would be that Oprah produced that movie, and she starred in The Color Purple, and they're both about a, a girl who, I believe in Precious, yeah, I, I, I remember her being raped by her father in the movie and having a kid by him. So that, that exact scene happens. And I don't, and I know the book is written heavily in the vernacular, so it's interesting because I hated that movie. And I wonder if when I watch The Color Purple, I'll feel about it like I did Precious. My gut instinct is there's no way in, in hell that that's going to happen. Because I just assumed that this was a much better book than Precious. Having not read Precious, I just assumed this was a much better book. So I think you can clearly see the influence of Their Eyes Are Watching God in this book. And Zora Neale Hurston has talked about, or excuse me, Alice Walker has talked about how Zora Neale Hurston was a hero of hers and she helped bring her name back into the public spotlight. So I think that that influence is easy to, like, you know, recognize. I don't know, because I'm not going to read, Pre huh? Never say never, but I'm probably never going to read Precious. So I don't know, but I just assume that there's got to be some influence from from the color purple on Precious, and uh, I don't think it was as, as successful. I feel like their eyes were watching God, although it's a classic. To me, the color purple surpasses it. I I just can't imagine that Precious does that. It certainly the the movie certainly did not do it for me. But um, yeah, you know that was years ago, so maybe maybe possibly I could reread it, but probably not. All right, that's going to do it for this week. The Color Purple, an absolute classic. I uh, don't really think I have to big up this book too much. Go read it. I'm going to watch the movie some point this weekend, so maybe I'll talk about it for like a minute next week or something. But this is a books podcast. What we're going to do for the next three weeks is we're going to read Distributed Blackness. It was like free one week, basically. Uh, which seems kind of wrong. Like, I kind of want to give the book some money. But, yeah, so uh, Distributed Blackness by Andre Brock Jr. He's an associate professor of black digital media at Georgia Tech. And so there are seven sections to this book. We're going to break it up into three podcasts, do a podcast every two weeks, because it's nonfiction. You know, it takes me a little bit of nonfiction. Really got really to gotta study. So... Basically, two weeks from now, I will be back with the, with the first two sections of Distributed Blackness, and uh, I'll be talking about it, and then maybe next week, so before that, those you know two weeks happen, I'll do a, a novel, a short novel, or indie novel by a black author, uh, if I have time. So, definitely going to be back in two weeks, maybe back in one week, we'll see. Please like, subscribe. Follow the show on iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud, Pocket Casts. I'm on Twitter, YouTube. So please go and uh, find me and like me. By go, I mean just look in the show notes and click on it. It's not hard. And yeah, if you read a, if you uh, leave a review, that'd be great too. Much appreciated. I've heard that helps. And the music. Intro and outro music by the Keep Running, who you can find on SoundCloud or in the show notes. And I think 
that's gonna do it. I think I got all the announcements out the way. Oh, I got a couple of poems published today, so when they come out, I'll let you know. And if you want to read any of my other writing, it's on my website, which is also in the show notes. All right. Okay, so until next time, stay safe, stay black, and keep reading. That's not fair. That's not fair at all. There was time now. There was was all the time I needed. That's not fair. <laughs> That's not fair. <laughs>